Thank you for choosing to listen to today's message by Reverend Dr. David Etchley. We know you will be blessed as you seek and serve God. We believe that this message will stir up a desire for more of God, even as you listen. Be blessed. Let's go straight into God's Word. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 16. It says that having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that f- ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Verse 17, for it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Verse 18 says that for Christ also has hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Verse 19, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Amen. So, very interesting text. In our our previous session, our previous teaching, I spoke about how I spoke about how it's important to. Uh, oh, the Bible says that he who will love life actually look at the verse ten. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, um, from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. So I spoke about how the how to see good days how to have good days and to love life. Um, to love life, I was, uh, in my studies, this, I was talking to one of our brothers, uh, I think, uh, yeah, one of our brothers, who is French speaking. And I, I asked him how there's a way to say to love life in French. And I said, how do you say it? And then, I asked him, is that the way to say love life? And then he said, yeah, yeah, there's a phrase in French that to, to say love life means that la, la joie de vivre, la, jo, la, la joie de vivre, which is a very important, it's, it's, la joie de vivre is the love of life. French call it la joie de vivre, the love of life. So he said, last week I was uh, practically, last Sunday I was practically talking about la joie de vivre, to love life, okay, not to hate life or not to pass through life or not to be tired of life, not, not to, you know, to give up in life, but to love life. Say so he who will love life to reduce the drama in your life. <laughs> so a lot of people who are not happy, their lives are full of drama, drama. Drama with one boy, drama with one girl, drama with one baby mother, drama with one baby father, or three baby fathers, or three baby mothers. Drama with not studying and poor performance in education. Drama with going to do drugs and now you are in trouble. Drama with watching some bad stuff, you are caught. Drama, drama with fighting with your mother and there's, there's tension at your, in your house. Drama with lying. 
Some of us, a lot of drama in our lives has a lot to do with the lies you have been telling. And it's been bringing so much drama in your life. You remember your ex is full of lies, one lie after the other. Drama. <laughs> he says that if you want la joie de vivre, if you want to have good days and love life, uh, you might, there are things that you must do. So I actually spoke much about that last Sunday. But somebody... Um, uh, drew my attention and asked a, a question that uh, um, I about um, yeah when the, when the from verse eight said we, we should be of one mind and have compassion one on another love as brethren brothers be pita, be uh, brethren be pitiful be courteous not re, re, uh, rendering evil for evil or railing for railing but on the contrary wise yeah and then from the, the verse 10 talks about for he that will love life and see good days let him refrain his, his friend is torn from evil someone asked pastor but you mentioned in the previous teaching that peter was quoting he was quoting from the book of psalms and you said you're going to make a bit of reference to it. So let me just mention it briefly. In the book of Psalms, Psalm, Peter was quoting, that's very interesting. He was quoting, okay, let's read it again, look at something. Verse 10, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking girl. Psalm 34, verse 12. What man is he that desires love, uh, sorry, desires love, uh, life, loveth many days that he may see good. Is that, is that not the same thing? Look at the, the next verse. Verse 11, uh, sorry, verse 12, I'm sorry. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy, speak, thy, thy lips from speaking guile. When you read Peter, he said, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. And then Peter goes on in verse 11 of First Peter chapter 3. Let him eschew evil. This is normally a good exercise if you have your own Bible in front of you so they can... Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and eschew it. Psalm back to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, um, the verse 13 and verse 14. It says that word, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue. Did you see that that's the same thing Peter was quoting? So they, in their writings and their epistles, Peter, Paul, Apostle Paul, John, even Jesus kept quoting from the making references to the Old Testament. They quoted from different sections of the Old Testament. These are all to show that the Bible is one, okay? Those people who say, I don't believe in the Old Testament, it's just the New Testament, they are in error because the Old Testament is a necessary part of the New Testament and the New Testament is a necessary part of the Old Testament. Those days when I was growing up, um, I, um, we, when there's this distribution of Bibles called Gideon's, Gideon's Bible is New Testament, pocket Bible, small one. You can put it in your pocket or anywhere. And um, people had it a lot around. And but when I, I became born again, I was growing and I used to disciple people. I, told, I used to tell them that, my friend, that is not a Bible. What you are holding is just a section of the Bible. The pocket Bible is not a Bible. New Testament and Psalm is not a complete Bible. All right, it's part of the Bible. Whatever is said in it is okay, but it's not the whole Bible. So you do, when I ask who has got a Bible, don't pull out that thing. That is not a Bible. <laughs> That's just the New Testament, the section of the Bible. So the Bible, the complete Bible is from Genesis all the way to Revelation. That is the Bible, 66 books. 
60, no more, no less. Okay, don't mind those who said the gospel of Thomas is not part of the Bible. It's their own part. They can't read it. Let them read, but it's not part of the Bible. All right, so we have, um, so they used to quote from these uh, um, books. Jesus quoted a lot of them from Psalm. He quoted from Genesis. He quoted uh, what Moses has said. He quoted Jonah. Can you imagine? He even quoted Jonah. He made references to Jonah. Jesus Christ made references to Jonah, made references to Abraham, made references to Noah, made references to Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot. Jesus made references to, and he made references to, in the beginning, God created male and female. He made references to all those things. So can you imagine if you take Genesis out of the Bible, you have actually destroyed, invalidated the Bible. That is why the Big Bang Theory, Big Bang Theory, its agenda is to try and mute what Genesis has got to say. As soon as you mute it, the Bible loses value. Revelations and Genesis are two essential aspects of the Bible, very important. All right, now let's, let's move on from there. So he quotes um, Peter. Peter quotes Psalm, Psalm 34. And as we see, look at the verse 15 again. Psalm 34, verse 15. It says that, let him... The, and then he quotes on the, the eyes of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Is that not what Peter said in First Peter chapter three? He was quoting exactly. Look at First Peter chapter three. The, for the eyes of the Lord are over the uh, eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are upon the uh, over the righteous, and his his ears are his <clears throat> eyes of the Lord are. Um, open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. This is very important. So Peter is quoting from Psalm 34, verse 15, and look at Psalm 34, verse 16, and then we go back to Peter. I want to draw you. Now let's go to Peter, First Peter chapter 3, first we come to verse 15. So for the eyes of the, the, the next verse, the face of the Lord, and who is he? So Peter ends now, Peter continues that he will see who will harm you if you are followers. So this is not part of the psalm. So go to the verse 12 again. Let me show you something. When you look at the verse 12, uh, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And Peter ends it there. But look at verse 16, Psalm verse 15 and 16, Psalm 34, verse 15 and 16. It says, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. And then, is that all? And the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Peter ends it there. But the, the scripture says, and to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. To wipe some people off. Now, this is the, that's why I brought you here. This is very important. The pastor, you left, uh, Peter left some part of the quotation. He should have ended the verse 16. But the good news is that Jesus also did something similar. Jesus read from Isaiah chapter 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And then verse 2, 61, verse, Psalm 61 verse 2. And after saying all that, he says, And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance. Now, this is Isaiah. Look at uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus' quotation. After he quoted, he said, And to preach what? The acceptable year of the Lord. Okay, let's continue. Verse 20. Verse 20. And he closed the book. But Isaiah chapter 50, 61 verse 2, Isaiah chapter 61 verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, Jesus stopped there. And the day of vengeance, how about that one? That comma is 
very significant in theology. That's the same thing Peter did. And when you read the New Testament very carefully, there are about 24 of such comments. Comments that separate the scripture they are quoting and they lift up. It is comma. It's not the end. It is comma, but they end it there. Why? Because it is what Jesus said, the acceptable year of the Lord to proclaim. It was the time he was on earth. But the day of vengeance is going to come later. So the day of vengeance is, is going to take place in the second coming of Christ. So he quoted the first part of the scripture and said, now this is fulfilled in your hearing. Because the other part is not fulfilled in your hearing. It's going to be fulfilled at the second coming. I, don't, I hope someone is getting what I'm teaching. And so Peter too quotes the same thing. Now let's go back to Peter. And he says that he who love life and uh, see good days should do all these things. And then when he gets to the verse, uh, some, let's go to some, uh, okay, verse, verse 12. Go to the verse 12. And he said, the eyes of the Lord... For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against the evil, uh, the, them that do evil. Look at Psalm again. Psalm 34, verse, six, verse 16. The, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Peter, stop there. How about to cut off the remembrance? That is the, one of the comments I'm talking about. That is not yet happening. It's going to happen at the second, oh, at the second coming of Christ. That will happen. So Peter left it here because this is what we are fulfilling at the moment. And so it, they had the habit of re making references to the Old Testament and explaining what, the, what was said in the Old Testament in the New Testament era. This, to some people, is, it's just trivial. This is what sometimes people who are unlearned, <laughs> and Peter, first Peter chapter, second Peter chapter three, I think verse fifteen and sixteen somewhere. He said, "People who are unlearned, they they are hard things in the scriptures, you know. But if you come to the scripture with a negative heart, you will see things that actually in a wrong way." He said, "Also, uh, um, as also in all his epistles, talking about Paul, in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some." Some things hard to understand, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. Give me New King James. Which, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. There are people, and some of us, listen, let me, I, I, I can't stop bringing this because I'm a pastor. Okay, listen to this very carefully. I am a pastor. And one of the fundamental jobs of the pastor is to help people to see or to explain the Bible for people to understand. Fundamental job is not to prophesy. The fundamental job of a pastor is to explain the Bible and help people to understand. Secondly, the primary job of the pastor, secondly, is to protect the sheep. So every pastor must be interested in negative in the, in the Bible is, or, or in the early church. It's called heresies. Heresies. Wrong teachings that are meant to, to lead people into destruction. And so in First Peter, 
uh, sorry, in First Timothy or Second Timothy, I'm sorry, chapter two, Paul writes to Timothy and he says that steady to show, steady to show yourself approved unto God, a workman, verse 15, 2 Timothy 2, 15, steady to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Is that the end of the story? Look at the verse 16. Verse 16, Bashan profane and vain babbly, for they increase unto ungodliness. There are some statements, there are bab- some babblings. They so-called, they, some of them so-called it teachings, but those, some teachings increase unto ungodliness. Some of us, are, you are safe understanding the scriptures from where you are at and growing in it than thinking that I'm looking for deep inside the, the tree of knowledge of good, deep things, deep revelation, deep doctrine, and deep doctrine that begins to tell you that if you sin, it doesn't matter. Sin matters, I'll say it again. Some I hear there are some people, or, you see, because of social media, anybody at all, makes himself an authority. And all you have to do is say some things that sound nice in people's ears and get them to listen. And then get people to... Listen, there are some people who... Talk, because they are not really born again, or maybe they are born again, but they have not really submitted. Jesus is not their Lord. They just want him as Savior. Now, watch this. There are people who... There are things they don't like. All of us, actually, there are things in the Bible that we wish was not there, right? <laughs> right? Some of you, you wish fornication was is okay. But sorry, 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 fornication is a sin. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Some of us wish, wish revenge, to revenge or, or not forgive this person ever. Some of us, the things you have been through, this teaching on forgiveness is one of your biggest problems. You don't like it. You don't like it, but you are a Christian, so you are managing to accept it and work with it. But you really don't like it. You really don't like it. Some people don't like pastors to mention fornication at all. Some, and pa- some pastors don't, they can't dare mention it. They, they can't dare mention it. Hey, they can't mention it. They can't because some financiers in their church are practical, major, major professional fornicators. <laughs> they live on number one fornication road. <laughs> so, the flesh doesn't like to hear some things. That is why not everybody will feel comfortable in Caris. And we are happy with it. We are, we are actually happy. We have to preach some things that would drive some people out. It's better. <laughs> drive them out! Because they are not looking for Jesus. They are not looking for Jesus. They are looking for nice people. Kissy, kissy, huggy, huggy. Mwah. You guys are so amazing. Mwah. Mwah. The devil is a liar. We preach Christ and him crucified. We preach Christ and him crucified. <laughs> Shout hallelujah! <laughs> so there are things, and there are, and there are people who have made themselves authorities, and they are on, on, on internet teaching things that people want to hear. So there are some people who tell you, there's no need, I, I don't believe in Titan. There's no need you give, you give money to any church. The money you give to a church, you have to go and give it to save the whales. Go and give it to somebody who is suffering on the road. You are an ignorant, an <laughs> you are unlearned. Let me put it, it's an, that's the language of, of the unlearned, the spiritually dumb. Doesn't, doesn't have the working knowledge of how spiritual things operate. 
And then, ah, hey, all this type, type thing. So people are, just say, just type, oh, online. Record something later and said, I've got the now proper understanding about tithe. Tithing is not good. You see the, people, the number of people who call themselves Christian beginning to follow you. And like, meanwhile, maybe you're a thief. Maybe you're a thief like Judas. <laughs> maybe, maybe you have been in church and you're, back, you're, you're a backsliding person. So because the human heart is dark, it doesn't like light. And sometimes the weight and the beam of the, the true gospel, it is too hard for some people. But that is what saves us. That is what helps us. That is what excuses our life from drama. So coming back to the, the text, people will always read into what the Bible is not saying. That's why as a pastor, it's my job to teach the word of God to uh, our congregation and all those lovely people God sent to hear us so that they will be at least have systematic, steady growth in God's word. Steady growth in God's word. From, from uh, Bible calls it precept upon precept. Precept upon here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, teaching systematically for people to begin to understand gradually. Ah, there's nothing like anointing. There's nothing. We are all anointed. Shh, prove it. <laughs> prove it. Prove it in your life. Prove it in your life. Prove it in your life. <laughs> we are not all anointed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Didn't we see the effect of the anointing? You too, prove the effect of the anointing in changed lives, in impacted lives. Prove it. I always have revelation, revelation. Please put the revelation aside and let us see the fruits of your works. The fruits of the Holy Ghost. The life of God inside you must bear fruits. Not just mere talk. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not in talk. It's not in words. But it is in power. It is in power. First Corinthians chapter 4 verse 20. I think so. Said the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is not, is, is not words. It's not in words. But it is in the kingdom of God is not in words. But in power. Verse 2. Verse 2 says that I came um, uh, 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 no, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, rather. Chapter 2 from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It talks about how I, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's widow. But, uh-oh, this, this is what we call anointing. Anointing. Demonstration of the Holy Spirit, uh, of the Spirit and power. So that your faith will not rest in the wisdom of men. Wisdom of men, nice, nice things. It sounds very intelligent. It sounds very intellectual, but it's void of the life of God. It's void. It's empty of the life of God. You follow some teachings and your sinning rate increases. You follow some teachings and your prayer life diminishes, plummets. You follow some teachers and some teachings and your, your desire for evangelism is taken away. It's eroded. You follow some teachings and your... You, 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 can, you know you are working with God. That, that inner closeness to God is taken away. It's eroded from your life. Can't you see it? When people begin to make a lot of noise, please, it's not about the noise. We need to see that 
evident manifestation of the impact of God's word in your life. The impact. Stop telling me, oh, you know, it's just the grace of God that is keeping us. Yes, the grace that keeps us also empowers us to continue living to the glory of his name. Every, if it is grace, if it is grace, then it will show in your living. It will be evidenced in your living. So, back to the text. Uh, as I was saying, let me, I think, let me finish the second Timothy chapter 2, verse 16. For, for um, uh, shun profane babblings. Shun these things. For they increase unto more ungodliness. Some of you know what I'm talking about. They increase unto more ungodliness. Since you started following this kind of teachers, following this kind of, haven't you realized that your fire has actually been washed away? <laughs> Calm down. And you're, you, you've gone back to your former guy. You've gone back to your former ways. You, you are doing well. You are doing well. All right. The next verse. Look at the next verse. And I'll move on to First Peter again. And their words, and their word will eat as doth. Give me New King James, please. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenus and Philetus are of this sort. Who now have changed? Look, look at the next verse. And they are of this sort. Who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past. And they have overthrown the faith of many. There are people, there are some of us, you know, there are other people you were all on fire with for Jesus. Now they have started following some teachings and you can tell they have been overthrown. Their faith has been overthrown from the faith. Okay? Stay away from such ones. Because now it is because of social media. Everybody is an authority and is speaking freely. Speaking freely, one one thing they see, say, oh yeah, this rev, and they they take pieces all together, piece this piece this piece here, piece here, piece meals all over, band them together, and it's this 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 a, a full package. No, it's not. That is why one of the ways to help people grow in the word is to teach systematically. Sometimes it's good to take a whole book, like what we are doing. Take a whole book. You won't jump from something. You, everyone, you touch on it. Because the Bible is analogia scriptura. Remember, analogia scriptura. It speaks with one, one voice. Everything. So it's, not, it's actually, by the time you finish First Peter, we have covered so many things. Look, we are in chapter 3. We've already covered marriage. We are already, we've already covered salvation. We've already covered hope. We've already covered love. We've already covered faith. We've covered so many things just in First Peter. And this is even chapter 3, halfway. By the time we finish First Peter, you are loaded with supernatural strength and understanding in the word of God. Someone shout hallelujah. So he says that, let, let, um, so I've just explained that for you. Now let's jump to my original reading. Having a good, because last, the other time I spoke about how sanctify, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts, not in your marriage, not in your career, not in your money, not in your ministry. Sanctify, the thing starts from the heart. If it doesn't start from the heart, it will be an exercise in futility. So sanctify the Lord in your heart. This thing is, it starts from your heart. 
my sister, my brother, this work with God, this ministry work starts from the heart. Some people, I want to just do ministry. I want to. And if you are not careful, when we remove the surface noise, there's nothing else to you. Because it's, the thing is it's just skin deep. It's not from the heart. That is why you can so you can be so easily offended from the ministry you say God has called you to do. That's why you can be so offended out of service. And you have become like a red bus in London with out of service in front. Out of service. You are not in service. Or red bus anywhere in town. The bus is coming. You are waiting for the bus. You think, wow, my day has come. My opportunity, I'm happy because I'm cold. It's too cold here. Only for the bus to show up and he said, out of service. There are people in the church who are now out of service. Meanwhile, God has called you for a great work. God has called you. How, why have you left the choir? Because you didn't like the way the choir leaders talks. But is she the one who called you into your ministry? You have left the choir. You have left the ashes. You have left the outreach. You have left that because uh, as for me, and some people go as far as I don't want to get involved anymore. <laughs> Listen, you will pay for it. I'm telling you. It's not me. You, you will pay for it. Kai, you will pay for it. You see the way I'm busy? I'm doing my own. I'm running my race. I'm, I'm not running for you. I'm running for my. I'm running my race. I am running my race. You two run your race because I'll be judged on what I am doing. You will also be judged and rewarded based on what you have done. But if you have not done anything, he will say. He will say to you, away from me, you lazy and wicked servant. In spite of all the excuses you have for not doing it, he said you are a wicked and lazy servant. Wicked because you have been called to serve. Away from me. But you will not hear that. You will hear, well done. You shall hear, well done. You shall hear, well done. In the mighty name of Jesus. I pray that may we receive grace to run and sanctify the Lord in our hearts. And be ready to give an answer. An answer to every man that asks you of the reason of the hope that is in you. I, I, I think I took much time to explain this, but the hope that is in you, watch this. Hope, be ready to give an answer to give an answer to every apologia, to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Watch this. With meekness and fear. With meekness and fear. Christians, when we are even defending what we believe, it must be done. It, there, there are four ways to do it. Number one, do it in a hum, with a humble heart. Even if you are defending your faith, explain. Do it with a humble heart. Number two, thoughtfully think about it. Let thoughts go into it. Don't let us just talk. So if it should be thoughtfully, then we should expose ourselves to hearing sound words, wholesome words. Healthy ways, okay? And it helps us to understand things so that you can defend it, not emotively or emotionally. So, <laughs> thoughtfully, uh, reasonably. So we have to ha answer people humbly, thoughtfully, reasonably. It must make sense. You must be able to think, talk sensibly, thoughtfully, and then sensibly. Reason. This is a, there's a reason. Now, apologia. And when, for instance, when you go to court, it, it, the idea here is like a, a, a lawyer at the, in, in court who is going to 
defend a case, a defense lawyer. He has to be able to prove beyond doubt that this case is like this, is in their favor. That's the job. So apologia really means to be, to, as I said the other time, to prove it, to explain it clearly and cogently. Now, which is slightly di different from the job of a detective. The detective is trying to investigate and establish the boundaries and the lines of the truth. The lawyer, defense lawyer, goes to defend the truth, goes to speak for the truth, whilst the, investi uh, the um, detective investigates and analyzes to make sure he knows the boundaries of the truth. Now, what the this all requires some skill and intentionality, okay? And what the detective does is what you can call uh, in... in, in in certain circles, we can, we can say it is, uh, the Greek word is episteme, so epistemology, uh, trying to establish the boundaries of the truth, trying to establish the boundaries of knowledge, truth, uh, uh, um, information. This is how it is. There are a lot of people who don't understand anything, and they hear one thing, and they hear another thing, and then they jump into conclusion and run, uh, um, run helter-skelter until they are found wanting. But we have to take our time and listen to teachings, expose ourselves. Some people don't actually like teachings. Some people say, Pastor, I like encounterface, prophesy, this teaching thing. Prophesy, I need testimony. I need testimony. <laughs> we will actually, we are actually loving you more by giving you the word that can deliver any day, any time, cheaply is the word all our encounters and testimonies are birthed by God's God's word so uh, apologia is to defend the faith um, epistemology is to 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 draw the line or investigate the truth and find the boundaries of the truth we sometimes epistemology or that kind of research helps a lot in our in our defense but if there's a formal as i said formal apologia and informal even sometimes your your way of living your way of living someone asks you well, why are you going to church you're able to tell give a reason why why i go to church not because pastor said we should come <laughs> because pastor says you why are you serving in church so much every time you are doing church church because one day i'm going to give an account for the hope that is in us, we have to be willing to be able, ready, we should be ready to be able to give an account of the hope that is in us. And now, um, this is very important. Then that, that with me, with me, then fear. Verse 16 says that having a good conscience, I mentioned conscience, but I won't go on to that again because I said good conscience is necessary for your Christian work. That whereas they speak evil of you, watch this, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Conversation, they mean conduct, okay? Conduct, conduct, lifestyle, behavior, okay? Very important. Conduct in Christ. So conversation, they are accusing you falsely, but they'll be put to shame. Those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. How would they be doing it? Uh, 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 how, would they, well, how would that happen? That when they defame you as an evildoer, those who revile you, your good conduct will be put to shame. Why? Because you have a good conscience and you are living a certain life. Now watch this. Listen to me. The best, the best defense 
against accusation to anybody. The best defense against accusation is doing the right thing. Right behavior, doing the right thing is your best defense. When you do the right thing, do the right thing. As they are speaking negative about you, your right behavior will defend you. Do the right thing. Church, let us do the right thing. Let us be people who are good, not just good, because we have to see good days. Not just good, but we also do the right thing. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. So as they are accusing, as I said, Christians are always in the courtroom being investigated, being examined, cross-examined for, uh, for, for accusation. But when you do the right, right thing, that's what he's saying, they get ashamed because there, there's no grounds. There's no grounds. You live with people, do the right thing. Do the right thing. Why are you, why are you doing things and when you see church people, you are dodging now? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you watch things on television which when other people are coming down, you have to change the channel quickly? <laughs> why are you, why, why they need to change the channel? Why are you, sir, you are a husband, why are you deleting some text messages between you and some? Why are you deleting it? Leave it on the phone. And don't take your phone everywhere. In, in, in the, when you have it in the bathroom, you put it under the bath. Because you don't want your wife to come near the phone. Or your, your iPad goes to the bathroom with you when you are showering, you know. When you are showering, because of that, you have bought special waterproof protective for your... Because you... <laughs> do the right thing. Someone say, do the right thing. That's the best defense. That's the best defense against accusation, okay? And it's, it applies to all of us. All of us have to do the right thing. There are times... Um, uh, you, 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 you tell, maybe you told your friend you are going to pray and you go and, and you are on the phone. As soon as you hear their footsteps, you start, my friend. <laughs> As for that, what happens. So there are times I'm even trying to pray. You know, there are times you are praying and you are so tired and you doze off. Then I hear my wife shut the door. Then I wake up again. I begin to, I in fact, I was praying, but I went off. So I continued praying. <laughs> and then when they come, I say, Oh, you've been, yes, I've been here for the past one hour. I'm just praying. Hey, my friend, <laughs> you are not just praying. You are not just praying. You are sleeping, pray, sleep, 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 pray, sleep, sleep, sleep. <laughs> so, now, it says that, so let's do the right thing. Verse 17 is very important. Because when you do the right thing, it's better if the will of God be so, that you suffer for, you see, doing the right thing, do well, than doing evil. So even if you are doing the right thing, and because you are doing the right thing, you are suffering, he said it is the will, it is it's better. There are times it might not be the will of God. God will intervene without letting you suffer. There are times pleasing God, doing the right thing, and you are being punished for doing the right thing, and God is quiet. He said if it's the will of God, don't worry. If it's not the will of God, vengeance belongs to God. He will intervene. But you, your, our job is to do the right thing. Now, if you are suffering for what you have done wrong, that is, please don't say I'm suffering for Christ. No, you are not suffering for Christ. You are suffering for your gossip. You are suffering for your, 
You know, sometimes some people become born again, and then now some things in your past, you know, um, comes up because the police have now found out some stuff, and then they come. But you are now born again. But you are not suffering for Christ. You are suffering for your own fault. Take it peacefully and believe God to come out of it. So he said, when you suffer for doing the right thing, if it's the will of God, he said, it's better. Can you imagine? This is what normally people would not like to hear too much. How can you tell me it's better to suffer? It's better to suffer. If they, hey, so can you have that as a will of God, suffering? Yes, Christianity. Christianity is better to suffer doing the will of God. It's better to suffer doing the will of God. Let me repeat it. It's better to suffer doing the will of God. It's better to suffer doing the will of God. Husband, it's better to suffer doing the will of God. Wife, it's better to suffer doing the will of God. Daughter, it's be- daughter I mean, it's better to suffer doing the will of God. Son, it's better to suffer doing the will of God. Student is better to suffer doing the will of God. Friend is better to suffer doing the will of God. Employee is better to suffer doing the will of God. Contractor is better to suffer doing the will of God. It's better. This should be part of our Christian worldview. Can I repeat that? This should be part of our Christian worldview that I would do the right thing. I would do well. And even if I have to suffer and God allows it, so be it. I will still do the right thing. This is Christian. This Christianity is not only the healing, prosperity, breakthroughs that should be driving us. These things should also drive. It should be our worldview. It should be our worldview. There are too many people who are running for prosperity, running for bless me, bless me, pastor, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me. But when you check their lives, there are no traces of desire to live a way that will glorify God. doesn't matter how much it costs them. doesn't matter how much it costs them. But I see you are a new breed. God is raising a new generation. God is raising a new breed. God is raising a new an, an army that is about to give the world a taste of what it means to be a true Christian and a godly person filled with the Holy Spirit and the anointing. So shall it be in Jesus' name. For, this is, look at this. He said, for, I think I will end on verse 18. I will end on verse 18. For Christ has once suffered for, you see, why should you do that? Because Christ also has once suffered, oh, oh, that's a strong one. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll pick on that. Christ has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. This is very loaded, okay? But first of all, the suffering for Christ is not just for redemption. It's not just redemptive suffering. It is redem- fundamentally, redem- I'm going to go into that in a little bit. But I, this text is showing us that the suffering for Christ is also exemplary. He gave us an example. In fact, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, not John 3, 16, the other one, 1 John 3, 16. All right. I mean, since I, know, I knew that this scripture, I've never, I've always remembered John 3, 16, the other one, John, 1 John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
And we all, because he did it, we also, is exemplary. He did it and gave us an example. And what did he do? He laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. Now, this is the core of the Christian message. And so let me uh, uh, tackle that and then we can end on that. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ... <clears throat> For Christ has also, for Christ also has once suffered for, oh, 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 this is serious. Who did he suffer for? He suffered for sins. So one, he did not suffer for himself. It wasn't martyrdom. He wasn't a martyr, please. Christ was not a martyr. He wasn't a martyr. He was a substitute. He was, the suffering was not for him. He was suffering for the unjust. But let me pick it step by step. For Christ also has once suffered for sins. Now, sins. Let's all say sins. Plural. There is a difference between sometimes when you read the New Testament, you come across sins and sin. Now, this sins is talking about our outward conduct, the things we have done, that's sins, our behavior, our, the, our conduct, the outward conduct, and the same thing, the, the same thing in a, a lot of other places, for instance, in um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, talks about how he suffered, he died for our sins, plural, okay, so Hebrews 9, 28, so Christ was once offered to bear the word sins, Okay, that sense is the behavior, things that we have done. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. It talks about the gospel, the definition of the gospel. This is so, this is one of the most powerful scriptures. It defines the gospel very clearly. This is that you see the the, the, the gospel, eh? the gospel is not about um, having a good life. The gospel is not, I mean, it's part of it, okay, it's, but the actual gospel is not about how, um, <laughs> do you know there are people who say the most important, in, in fact, there are bishops, uh, bishops, bishops who say, sometimes they are interviewed on BBC and other places, bishops, <laughs> some of them are worse than bookshop keepers, uh, bishops who, who say things like, it is what matters is about the teachings of Christ. Christians, this Easter, this Easter, if we can focus on the teachings of Christ and the example he set for us by loving our neighbors, that's all their message, you. That's all their message. By loving our neighbors as ourselves, living in peace and harmony with one another, let's accept everybody, let's, let's tolerate everybody. This is what Jesus came, this is why he came. He came so we can love one another. He came so we can go and feed everybody. You meet a Buddhist, what do you tell him? No, tell him that just be a good Buddhist. You meet a Hindu, what do you tell him? No, you don't have to talk about Christ. Let's just feed him and tell him you will be a good Buddhist, a Hindu. As you're a good Hindu, you, that's also your way of serving Christ. That is a life from the pit of hell. <laughs> 
That is not Christianity. That is not, you can't serve Christ following Buddha. <laughs> There's a big difference between Christ and Buddha. There's a big difference between Christ and Muhammad. There's a big difference between Christ and even Moses. There's a big difference. Oh, but we are all serving one God. Where did you hear that from? What's your scientific reason for saying that? What you are saying is as unscientific as anything you can think about. That we are all worshipping one God. But there are several ways in worshipping him. One will go this way, the other will go that way. The other, any Christian who talks like that is actually not a Christian. It's a clear sign that he's not a Christian. Now, that is where the rubber hits the road. That is where the world finds problem with Christianity. Not our niceness, not our, our goodness, not our kindness, not because we are commanded by our Lord to be kind, to be nice, to feed the hungry, to love, to forgive. We don't have a choice. We are commanded not to be, not to be vicious. We are commanded not to be aggressive. We are commanded not to be violent. We are commanded to be gentle. If you are, if you are, when you are defending the faith, he said, do it with fear and uh, humility. Fear do it with meekness. Oh, we are commanded. So they love that one, but they don't love the actual message. And what is the actual message? Do you know the actual message? Should I tell you the actual message? Let me tell you the gospel. They don't like the gospel, but sorry, we can't do anything about the gospel because if we can love, then we also have to keep the gospel. We have to preach the gospel. We have to don't let us decorate the gospel and change it a little bit and alter it a little bit so that people will just like it a, a little bit more. No, no, don't change it. God, the Bible says the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. So even if you think it's foolishness, the foolishness of God, Bible says that in the wisdom of God, God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, 22, 23, Bible says that for God, but because the foolishness of God is wiser than the, the than men and the weakness of God stronger than men. Now, uh, verse 22 and 23, it says that it's pleased God that through the foolishness of preaching, hey, can you imagine? After that, after that, in the wisdom of God, the, sorry, after, after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Do you know that, what that means? So the way the world does this is, is research, education. So the more learned you are, the more you know things, understand things better. Bible says that it has pleased God. Huh? It has pleased God. Uh, in God's wisdom, in God's wise way of doing things, he has planned that the world, it won't it would take the research of specialists or intelligent people to find God. So the more wise you are in the world, it doesn't mean you will find God. You can be a philosopher. Don't, haven't you noticed that a lot of professors are lost? A lot of professors, especially in the top, 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 top intellectuals, they, when they speak, we say, wow, this man is so academic. This man is so learned, but he's so bankrupt spiritually. Because in the wisdom of God, God has programmed that the world through wisdom will not know God. It has pleased God. He's actually happy that by the foolishness of preaching, preaching, they say, oh, all this nonsense, I don't like it. All this. He said, no, no, no problem. You don't have to like it. But God's plan, God is happy that he will save, through, save people through the foolish, what you call foolishness. He will save through people through the foolishness of preaching. 
You say free preaching is foolishness. God said, no, no problem. Now how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. No problem. I will save people through the preaching. I will save people through the preaching. They said, don't preach. They said, if you preach, they will kill you. Let them kill you. I will save through the preaching. And now, so they have to go as far as altering your preaching and say, you cannot say this in your preaching. You cannot say that Jesus is the only way. Ah, but I'm not saying it. The one who said a preacher is a, a, a messenger. Messenger. He carries a message. A courier man doesn't have to change anything on the address. The courier man doesn't have to open the package and take some things out because it's too big and he can't enter the man's letter hole. So I have to take some things out through all remove the watch from the packaging because there's nobody at home. So me, the courier man, decide to remove the watch from the packaging and put just the watch inside, <laughs> inside the letterbox. No, I can't do that. If it can't enter, I don't have to temper with it. I don't have to temper with it. Bible says that for there is no other name given amongst men. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. No name given amongst men. Mark Kadaba, I feel like preaching. This is their gospel. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is, there is none other name. None other means none other. Under heaven amongst human beings. Whereby we must be saved. There is none other. Sorry. I search and search. I search all, all over. Couldn't find nobody. I've, search, I've searched and searched and searched. He said there is no other. There is no other. We might prefer other options. But sorry. God has not got any other option. There is only one menu. There is only one menu. There is only one menu on the table. And the menu is Jesus. Jesus. And so he said we preach Christ, Christ crucified. Not the preaching, not the teachings of Christ. Please, we are not preaching the teachings of Christ. We preach Christ. That's the gospel. The gospel is not about the behavior of Christ, but the gospel is fundamentally. Uh, let's look at it. Let me confirm it. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4. Verse 2. Paul said, My gospel. First Corinthians 15, please. Verse 2. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless you are believing in vain. Now look at verse 3. It mentions the gospel here now. For I deliver, delivered unto you, first of all, first of all, that which I also received. How Christ, uh, how that Christ died for our sins, okay? He didn't die for himself. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. The next verse according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is what is called the gospel. This is what it's called. So it's not, the gospel is not so much about the teaching, um, love your neighbor as yourself teaching. Okay? That's, that's please, I, I, are you saying that's not important? It's important. You can't be in Christ without following his words, following his teachings. It's, but, that's not what saves. What saves, and can I tell you salvation? God has not, okay, let me put it this way. When you look at other religions, okay, other religions in the world, if they have any salvation to offer, it is always offered to the good people. Yeah. Every religion offers salvation to people who are good. You have to be good. You have to do this. Take what then is okay. Then you are you are in. Uh, you have to then you are in. You have to do the do the, then you are in. You have to stop fornicating. You have to stop stealing. You have to stop lying. And then you are in. And so there's no hope for uh, tax collectors. 
There's no hope for tax. <laughs> There's no hope for prostitutes. Hallelujah. There's no hope. There's no hope. But thank God that the gospel is good news. It's good because you know what? God has not, God, listen to this. I think I wrote it down. Let me read it for you. This is a serious one. God only saves those who are unworthy of salvation. God only saves those who don't deserve salvation. God only saves self-admitted sinners, wretched, wicked people. Self, you have admitted that I am a sinner. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. It, this is a true saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ came, did you see that? That Jesus Christ came into the world to do what? To do what? Not to, he didn't have time for good people. He came for sinners. He came, that's what we, read, we just read, Romans. Uh, we just read in uh, First Peter, chapter 3, verse 18. It says that Christ died for our sins. The just, the just for the unjust. He actually died for the people who are not just. He came to save those who are sinners. He came to save those who are wretched. He came to save the bad guys. He came to save. God doesn't have salvation for the good guys. He only has salvation. <laughs> That's why some of you, when you look at what you used to be, thank God for salvation. Thank God for salvation. Thank God for salvation. When you look at who you used to be, the things you used to do, the places you used to go, the kind of things you could imagine and execute. And today, look at you. Today, look at you. God came to, and Paul said, he came to die for sinners, and I am chief. I am chief amongst them. <laughs> he said, I am chief sinner. The gospel is only for sinners. The gospel is not for the good guys. Jesus said, Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Luke chapter 5 verse 32 he says to, the son of man came to call sinners to repentance he came to call sinners not righteous people not good people he came to call sinners Romans chapter 5 verse 6 and verse 10 oh I feel like preaching my time is up but someone got to hear this for when we were yet without strength in due time he died for the bad guys Christ died for the bad guys Christ Oh, am I talking to some people who used to be bad? You used to be bad and Christ has died for you. Maybe you are listening to me and you know you are so bad. You know you are so bad. But I have good news for you. It's called the gospel. I have good news for you. Christ came for you. Christ came to die for you. You are the kind of people God saves. God saves people who admit that they are sinners. Self-admitted sinners. Self-admitted wicked. Self-admitted wretched. Self-admitted unjust. You admit that you need help. You admit. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 again. He says Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for... Guys, this is serious. All religions, salvation, if they have every evening salvation, but their so-called salvation they have is offered to the good guys, to the good cops, to the good guys. But God, his salvation is offered to the bad guys. Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. Luke 19, come down for today. I'll be in your house. Zacchaeus, me? A tax collector like me? He said, come. I, won't, I came for you. Woman, where are your accusers? Nobody 
was able to accuse me. He said, then go. I also do not accuse you. But go and sin no more. Tell those guys who say go and sin uh, any, uh, more, more. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Luke chapter, John chapter 18, chapter 8. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He saves you not to continue in sin. He saves you at watch, watch this. If you are genuinely saved, you'll be empowered to be able to overcome sin. If you are genuinely saved, there are people who are not preaching, it's okay to sin. Because they were never even saved. They were never saved. They managed to come into the church. They like our music. Some will even sing in the choir. Singing in the choir doesn't mean you're on your way to heaven. You can be singing in the choir and still will be going straight to hell. You can be, in fact, you can even preach. You can be preaching on the streets and yet you will die and go to hell. Because you are not born again. You are not born again. The new birth. It's a supernatural activity of God, which can never be explained by human reasoning. You're not born again. You are in the choir. You are listening to preaching. You are receiving healing. Miracle. I receive. I receive. And you are not born again. You are on your way to hell. You are on your way to hell. Oh, so what will I do? That, that's what God is waiting for. God is waiting for you to say, I'm, I'm, I'm a helpless sinner. And you have, look at verse 10, Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. I feel like preaching. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Romans 5, 10. It says that, for if when we were enemies, ah, so God saves only his enemies. <laughs> if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. You see how the death is important? How much more being reconciled shall, we, shall, uh, shall be saved by his life? Did you see how important the death is? We are reconciled to God. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, he says there is one God. There is one God. I'm telling you, there are no many gods. There's only one God and only one mediator. They say, oh, no, no, you can't say that. But sorry, it's not me. The Bible says there is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Jesus, if you go outside of Jesus, there's no hope, no salvation, no salvation. Are you trying to say that? Uh, are you trying to say that? So all those people who have never heard the gospel, when they die, they are going to hell. Yes, that's what I'm saying. How, but how can that be fair? When you, when you die, go, go and ask God. In his own wisdom, this might sound foolishness, unfair. Listen, life has never been fair. So don't, please don't let us go down that route of fairness. Because when people talk about fairness, they are beginning to talk about things that they don't even have a proper understanding. I'm not, talk, I'm not saying that, I mean, generally, when there is equity, okay, there is niceness and kindness, and people are also giving opportunity. I'm not saying it's bad. But don't live your life by, it's not fair. It's not fair. So I'm very angry. It's not fair. Why is it that my father was not there? Why is it that my father was not there? Why is it that my mother was not there? It's not fair. So you have become a bitter, bitter person in life and unproductive. Very angry person. Because you are beaten into this deception that life is supposed to be fair to you. At the expense of others. <laughs> well, the gospel is, the good news is, Christ came to die for sinners. Back to First Peter, it says that for Christ has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, in the spirit, uh, quickened by the Spirit. I want to establish the fact that he died for our sins, the things we have done. And there's a scripture that talks about 
he sacrificed, it was a sacrifice for sin, which is different from our sins. Sin is the nature, the nature, our nature by birth, that thing that we inherited from Adam. Jesus Christ on the cross, he was offered for First uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, said he was made to be sin for who knew no sin. It's not sins. This is sin. He was made to be, uh, he, he who knew no sin was made, he was made to be sin. Okay, that's very important. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, it talks about he was offered for sin. He was given as an offer. Who, uh, 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 for, uh, but now, at once, uh, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Sin, not our sins. So there's a difference. Our sins is our, our outward behavior, the conduct that we have done. But sin is the nature by birth, that thing that makes you want to continue living in sin. Jesus Christ crushed it so that you can say, I'm a no guy slave to sin. I am the child of God. We thank God for using his servant, Reverend Dr. David Entry, to share this awesome word. If this message has blessed you in any way, please spread the word by sharing it and send us an email to amen at charis.org. Remember to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter for regular updates on what God is doing here at Caris Ministries. Stay blessed.